Hello, this is Chris O'Regan, and you're listening to The Sausage Factory. episode 209 of the Sausage Factory. In this episode I talked to Hayley Eurus from Fail Better Games about their open world exploration adventure game Sunless Skies. And you really want to stick around for this one. It is a fascinating tale of, of an extraordinary game being developed by extraordinary people. But before we delve into that, a little bit of background about Cane and Rinse and of course Sound of Play, the two other podcasts that are part of the Cane and Rinse staple. Now, Kane and Rince have been around for a very, very long time, and they delve deep into video games, which they complete, unlike other podcasts, where they actually talk about games they played for about an hour or so. In Kane and Rince, they generally do Kane and Rince games. That's the purpose of the show and the name, so to speak. So they come out every Monday, and uh, they are quite extraordinary recordings, and I highly, highly recommend them. They last about two hours or longer, but we'll talk about that in a bit. Before I do, Sound of Play comes out on Wednesdays. This is where they highlight or celebrate the games of, or the music of games that we play. Highly, highly recommended as well. Definitely subscribe to it. It's one of my favourite podcasts. And uh, both of those shows, including this one, of course, The Sausage Factory, you can find out more details at caneandrince.com where you can not only find details about those podcasts, but also blog posts and a very active and vibrant forum. So please do pop along to there. And finally, there is Patreon. If you want to chuck a dollar a month, just a dollar, to Cane and Rinse, you will get extra content, extra podcasts, longer editions of Cane and Rinse podcasts, rather than two hours, that's extended out to you know the extended edition kind of thing. So unedited um, versions of the same podcast and uh, many, 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 many other things. So, by just pledging one dollar a month, that's about seventy-seven pence currently. Although, if um, a certain event happens next March, I suspect that will go the other way. But anyway, that's enough of that. Let's move on to the full show where I talk to Haley. Haley, please Hello. tell us who are you and what do you do. So I'm Haley Uris, and I am the marketing manager at Failbetter Games. That means that I wear quite a lot of hats, as I'm sure other guests on your show have said. Um, There's a big hat thing at this point. This question generally has the word hat. So everyone, listeners, by all means, take a drink. That's yeah. <laughs> that's, the, that's the first one. There's going to be more, no doubt. But carry on. And apologies for the London noises in the background, but that's just how real it is. Uh, Yes, atmosphere. What are we going to do? Yeah. um, I do, even though I 
uh, define myself as a marketing manager. I also do things like PR and social media and community management um, and basically anything that isn't straight up development but requires a voice uh, to share our game with as many people as possible. That's really fascinating, that aspect of it. It's not really understood about how difficult it is to get that, to, to raise the profile of a title to the point where you know, people actually actively talking about it as we you, you and I are about to over the next hour. Mm. And it's just, my I've got a leading point here before I ask you the next question. is really, you really need to know that game, don't you? I do, yes. You need to know it. <laughs> And you need to be familiar with its good and bad bits and be magnanimous about both and come across as genuine and sincere uh, without, you know, because the audience don't underestimate their intelligence. That's the worst thing. I know you know this, but some of these things need to be said, you know, it's just, you have to, you know, credit people with intellect. And when you do that, you get way more respect from people, and you get you get you 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 you, you engender a, a sense of trust, and also you got you. You and I have encountered each other before over the years, and it's basically a sense of I believe in this thing. This, mm. this is the thing that's worthwhile, and it's you should experience it. And I'm going to do everything I can to to ensure that uh, you and many others do that, i.e., experience it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which is what you know games are really an experience so my next question is how did you make your start into the realm of video game creation so that's a bit of a winding path which i think is fairly common for people of my certain like age group in this time and place in game development um i actually started out as a graphic designer in the states and i used to work on toy packaging Um, but I decided that I really wanted some more narrative in my life because I'd always played video games and I've always been interested. But at that point, it wasn't really like a legit job that a lot of people went into. Um, So I decided that I would combine two things that I wanted to do uh, and go for it, which is switching into the games industry and coming to work in London. So I actually did a master's in games design here in London at Brunel University, Um, And also tried to do basically as many internships as I could during that time (laughs) to bolster up some experience. But at that point, I was doing literally anything. So I think I did like QA. I tried to learn some stuff about production. I did as many like 2D or like graphic design kind of stuff that I could do for various games. I worked on a lot of uh, professors projects and stuff like that, uh, ranging from really commercial like mobile app stuff to really weird Faulkner uh, artistic (laughs) educational games. Um, and then had the fun battle of, uh, trying to get a visa to work here. So that didn't go so well the first time. And I had to go back to the States for a bit, but then I decided I really wanted (laughs) to work in this games industry, specifically in the UK, because it had such a good vibe. Um, and you know, there were just so many different types of devs here and so many really interesting indie scenes as well. Uh, So I came back and I did an MBA in creative industries management. And that kind of helped solidify all the things that I've been doing in the past. Uh, Because as a graphic designer, you do a lot of, you know, marketing and commercial work and and B2B stuff. um, And helped me solidify the kind of theories that I learned in game design. 
Um, and I kind of bundled those all together and sold myself as a marketer. Um, and I started out at a very small indie PR place doing all sorts of different types of marketing for people. So that's kind of my weird <laughs> international segue into the games industry. That really fascinating stuff. And I'd love to go sort of back to your start. So you, you and then we'll sort of talk about your move from, from the east coast of US, I understand it's where you're from, uh to to um, um Londinium or yeah. the, the the big smoke as it's also known. Uh, <laughs> and people call it that. And uh this is where I was born and bred. But anyway, that aside um, you said you played games a lot as a, as a kid, and there's recently a story that come out that uh, I'm hesitant to to say, but just to mention it's like, oh yeah, more teenage girls are playing video games. I'm sitting there going, haven't they always? <laughs> it's like, it's just yeah, but it's just a, a thing apparently. This is, and also the, um, younger generations are genuinely seeing video games not as a special thing. Mm. It's just part of another means of entertainment. They're nothing special. Really. No, say yep. they're unique. They're just a thing that you do because they're grown around. They're grown up with them. They're just being there. And uh, I must confess that there is starting to happen that uh, that uh, that demographic, which is generally regarded as not be playing games, i.e., young women, are, and they kind of always have been, right? Yeah, I think. I mean, there's a lot of like academic studies about how games in general, like board games and older sort of non-digital games, were like a children's business not just uh you know being marketed to one gender or the other Mm. um and certainly when I was what I would classify as a child like it definitely felt like that I never thought you know playing on my Sega or my PlayStation 1 (laughs) or my Game Boy was like a boy thing Uh, but I definitely could feel kind of the shift of what came through I think from the marketing and the PR side of things yeah um when I was you know in middle school and high school and of Mm. course I was still playing you know, Silent Hill and Resident Evil and all sorts of stuff back then. <laughs> oh, yeah. um, but I definitely felt like uh, some of the other like girls weren't playing that anymore. And yeah. it, you ended up in a kind of subculture. Yeah, I can definitely see that. And uh, sadly, I'm, I'm speaking from a p- position of privilege, whatever that bloody means. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, he's a, a middle aged white male um, grew up in a Western culture. You know, like, well, this, of course I played, you know, Dungeons and Dragons and of course I played um, weird little video games and, and, and played, um, you know, um, uh, various titles on PlayStation and what have you. It's just what one did. No one batted an eyelid when you're male. <laughs> apparently, when you're female, it's a big thing. It's like, I don't get that. But, oh, well, it's uh, it shouldn't be. You know, we're just people. You should, Definitely. you know, it's just people just happen to have different genders i never like the word opposite gender it doesn't make no sense yeah <laughs> it should be other gender <laughs> you know what i mean it's like no you're not opposite <laughs> it's another yeah, gender to you antic antic ad, uh like yeah. agitation in there yeah, it's just weird like why opposite sex what does that mean <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> when, I, when, I, when i sort of raised their people they nine times out of ten they go oh yeah it makes no sense. Like, no, of course it doesn't make any sense. It's just weird language of heretical sort of like not heretical. Uh, it's a sort of a bygone sort of age. Sort of like, um, mm. And thankfully it's gone. But uh, yeah. Anyway, Silent Hill, radio static. There you go. That's, that's popped into my head. 
As soon as you said that, I just remembered the, the radio static. I've never had radio static be so terrifying. It, it is, although I don't think that's the most terrifying sound. I think the the music that starts to play when they're coming to get you is definitely yeah, the one that way, way still more. spikes fear, fear in my heart. Yeah, but it is... Uh, what a brilliant method of uh, using fog in a game, which kind of links to what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, <laughs> Definitely. It does, but yeah, it uses that game. Oh, they knew, they like they took the limits of the technology. And, well, you know what? Rather than hide it, let's embrace it. <laughs> whereas, it's such a great horror mechanic. It's so terrifying. Whereas Turok just said, no, I just can't. <laughs> bless it. Bless, bless Turok. It tried, didn't it? <laughs> anyway, um, so I'm going to ask you this on the buff of your studio now, rather than your good self. Sure. Um, and uh, what are your biggest, what do you believe is the biggest influences that you have as a creative entity? What is the thing that drives you or you find yourself orbiting more than anything? That's such a huge, <laughs> diverse aspect of Failbutter, I have to say. Um, because we have quite an odd studio in the fact that, especially for an indie, we are made up a fourth of writers, um, and very particular writers, uh, that write very (laughs) bizarre and niche and lovely and horrifying things for us. Uh, which means that I think a lot of our influences might be quite different than other studios. Although I suppose... Everybody, you know, gets influenced by so many different things that aren't just games. But certainly, depending on what game we're working on, you know, our our writers source inspiration from like Jules Verne to uh, certain historical, like philosophical thoughts and movements (laughs) uh, to, you know, a lot of our games are set during the Victorian era. So we have lots of influences from there. And since all three of our games are from within the same universe, um, that kind of has stretched across all the, the studio's games. Um, but then also it may shift if you go more to the art side and they might be more inspired by things like Dark Souls or Bloodborne, um, which you could definitely, I think, see if you've uh, played around in Sun of Skies a bit. <laughs> um, oh, more and- than a bit. Don't worry about that. Yeah, go on. <laughs> Uh, so it's so diverse and each of us similar to my winding path have kind of come into the games industry from other industries. Uh, we used to have a lot of people that had actually come in through theater. So I think that influenced a lot of Sunless, uh, sea and fall in London. Um, and it, I think we work with so many different freelance writers as well, that they all bring in their own unique perspectives and all the literature they've read. We were talking earlier about, you know, uh, how much both of us have probably <laughs> read throughout the years and uh, how easy it is to just consume all these delicious words. And I think that all of our staff, whether they're writers or not, ha- are quite well read. So there's a lot of um, kind of like classics in their brains that are still pulling the strings and they're still trying to you know, figure out exactly what that theme or plot line was trying to say. And it works its way into our games. Whether you like it or not, I mean, it's just yeah. <laughs> you get you suddenly see this. You know, you get a paragraph and you see this sort of the cadence to it and the the rhythm to the language. Like, hang on, <laughs> I've, I've I've heard that kind of somewhere before. Not that I'm saying the plagiarism. Please don't think that. It's just, <laughs> you can't help but influenced by really good literature because that's how that works. Definitely. Great writing is phenomenally difficult. 
you know, I just writing is very, very hard. Really, really good writing, really engaging writing. I know I've done it myself, and it's just writing that first sentence is excruciatingly difficult. And it normally gets deleted anyway, but it's just, you know, it's, and that's okay. You know, yeah, definitely uh, for the first, you have to really carve into that right away. Yeah, you have to embrace the fact that you're going to write junk. It's okay. <laughs> you're going to probably going to delete it, but at least you've got something on the page. Exactly. Uh, and, uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it's um, and it does show that, and there's something we said on the show before, we need more people making video games who have no interest in Star Wars. Not, yes. there's, not that there's anything wrong with Star <laughs> not, Wars. Again, nothing against Star Wars, no. But it's just what I'm trying to say is that we need more diverse um, input from 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 uh, from people who haven't were obsessed over you know that particular set of films or media or what have you, and just need more people who do read the Red Dickens at least once, uh, yeah. which can be a, a slog, but it's not. It's, it, you just have to. Embraces, you know, his idiosyncrasies and his very strange way of putting things across and having very strange name people, which is just part of the comedy because there are comedies, believe it or not. Anyway, <laughs> um, well, we certainly in Fall London or even some of those guys have plenty of strange name people as well, and all of their names aren't even names, they're descriptors. So, yes, Mr. Snigglesworth or something like that. It's just, <laughs> it's just, yeah, it's all very top hat tipping and. You know, and the, the, the people say way more than what we would say as regards to a sentence. Where two words would do, they would say a paragraph. <laughs> because... As an American in England, you don't have to tell me. <laughs> no, it's like, why are you just rattling on and on? Just come out with it. I don't know. I need to build up to a point. Ugh. And I think, too, um, I I would be, um, like, missing out if I didn't mention that, obviously, our you know, designers and writers are also influenced by other games, obviously, like Think for Sunless Skies, it was Thief and Planescape Torment, um, but also things like tabletop RPGs. So I think our narrative director was particularly inspired by Burning Wheel and Apocalypse World, which is definitely a whole new world for me. But after having done a pen and paper RPG for Sunless Skies recently and working with our narrative director to get that through, uh, it was very apparent how much of that sort of design world and language from, uh, you know, an adjacent medium uh, had spilled into games like Sunless Skies. Yeah, um, it's quite interesting. You've listened to shows previously. So I know I play pen and paper RPGs uh, quite a lot because I find them fascinating because it cuts away all the, the chaff and just get to the, to the nitty gritty of uh, human interaction or... Not necessarily human interaction, but <laughs> depends, on what, <laughs> yeah. depends on what being you're playing. Uh, but is this is this out? Is this a thing? Does it exist as a yes, game? Yes, not only that, but it's free. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, this, is, this is the best sort. Yeah, if you go onto the Fail Better website, which is okay. just failbettergames.com, uh, you'll be able to see Skyfarer up there. And you can download the PDF. It's It, it was supposed to be a four-page PDF. Uh-huh. It's not. It's more like... 12 to 18 somewhere in there it's better than the uh 560 page of uh starfinder so yeah, yeah well done <laughs> um and it, it's That's meant a very to be... different game <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah i reckon it is. <laughs> uh it's meant to be like a sort of a gateway into our our world and our game so even if you haven't played any of our games or even heard of us before it should be something that you'd be able to pick up and play 
uh, with your group or your friends, and it doesn't necessarily need you to have an encyclopedic knowledge of, of our games. So, No, or indeed the rules, because there isn't much. This is great. Yes. Unless it's teeny, teeny writing. Anyway. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> oh, great. Joy. Anyway, um, so that's, 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 that's great that you created RPG. I, I do love running one-shots. I went to an event last weekend called Dragon Meat, uh, which is in London, and uh, I actually ran a one-shot game of Warhammer Fantasy roleplay, right. which was hilarious for all <laughs> the wrong reasons. And I sat there behind the screen grinning as very bad things happened to the players for their own fault, I hasten to add. <laughs> which is that always, sounds very similar to our games. <laughs> this, this exactly. You know, this was one of the things I love about the Sunless series is that every action you commit and it goes south, it's nine times out of ten entirely your fault. Oh, yes. But not always. Just saying. <laughs> <laughs> no, we also have a, a mean RNG and other things like that. So <laughs> so next question then. What developer do you most admire in the industry and why? Um, hmm, there's so many. Do you, is it okay? Is it okay to say a, a studio instead of a, a particular person? I'm not saying person. I have to reword that question. Maybe or not. I like this discussion about it. <laughs> it can be a studio. It can be a person, or it can be both. Okay. Sometimes it is both. When you got those people who are just you know one man bands who, who are geniuses, polymaths, I believe is the phrase we use. Yeah. People can do all things. They they are very very rare. But you and I have both encountered them at some point. But yeah. And it's certainly miraculous as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think for me, especially in, in recent years, it's the developer that's most impressed me, especially coming from a marketing side of things, but also the type of game that they do and the type of game that I enjoyed playing myself um, has to be 11 bit studios uh, with their title Frostpunk. I had known of them before when they did, you know, this War of Mine, um, which unfortunately I haven't played yet, but I think I'd probably quite like that as well. But I spend a lot of time playing uh, strategy games and city builders. So when I saw Frostpunk and uh, a land covered in snow, I was like, yes, this is <laughs> this is a game for me. But what really blew me out of the water was their approach to marketing that game. Um, you know, they're a bit of a big indie, especially compared to somewhere like us that only has 13 people in our studio. Um, but from the very beginning, all of their messaging was so precise and clean and really got to the heart of their game and made you really emotional, which I think is difficult to do for any game, let alone something that's a city builder, basically, or, you know, like a manage resource management style game. So the more I saw of it, the more I paid attention to it. And I really started to see how they were adapting all of their campaigns to kind of the new indie landscape and how successful that was working for them. And they have a very like socially driven campaign. And it wasn't until recently that I learned that it, their whole marketing is kind of actually steered by their community team. So it, that made perfect sense, but it was just really interesting to watch that all unfold because Normally, you know, AAA has a very specific kind of cycle that they do for their marketing and PR and, and indies are so different, um, but often have so few resources to work with. So, you know, those campaigns are often creative, but I, I'd never seen something so mixed in between those two of having resources and a very particular kind of like 
objective and, and business plan in mind and somebody who really understood like the core concepts of their game and those design loops and how, you know, to get people really involved with the choices they were making, which again is something we do, you know, in our game. So it was just one of those beautiful things where everything kind of came together. <laughs> that's that's fantastic. Thanks for sharing that. Eleven bit are an amazing publisher. I, one of my favourite booths are Pax's because they don't come to EGX that much. They haven't, they haven't done that yet. At least I don't think they have. Uh, but no, yeah, no, they they were always at East and West though. Um, just to be clear, I only do East and West. I'm not in, I'm not insane. I don't, <laughs> I don't do South and Australia. I have limits. Um, but uh, yeah, although I don't know, what do I prefer East and West? Discussion for another time. They're different shows. Anyway, point being, no favorite booth. Uh, Moonlighter is one of their titles oh, as yeah. well. Um, that's a weird one. <laughs> Yep. For all right reasons, you know, you're balancing market forces whilst trying not to die in dungeons. I mean, it's a bit <laughs> weird. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I need to reach out to them properly because I've, I've attempted to, but, you know, it's like it's just it's just a, a wall of uh, – it's difficult to sometimes get through to people. Uh, they like they don't quite get what I'm doing here. Maybe I know yeah. you understand it, but uh, <laughs> it, it's, it's difficult sometimes. But I do need to get those guys on the show. Because I'm, you know, it's the, I'm sure they get a lot out of what the one of their their charges that is to get them on the show. Um, I sort of put them alongside people like Tiny Build and stuff like that. They, they've got it. They understand it. They give the they give uh, uh, their their charges. Their people they work after. They they publish for. I should say just enough rope to not uh, not to hang themselves with. No, no, no. Just to give them <laughs> enough. Um, you know, to understand. Give them creative sort of freedom whilst they deal with all the mess of mm. all the marketing and selling and, and getting it all and just let the creatives do their thing. And uh, it does uh, speak volumes for the, 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 the quality of output. Their curating is amazing, though. How Def they, yeah, it's just, you know, they really know. And that's, you know, um, there's, there's lots of uh, publishers out there. Who really, the good creators, they're the ones that survive. It's the ones that uh, aren't as discerning. Things don't go so great, but we're not going to name them. But uh, no, that's an excellent answer to that question. And, and that kind of goes back to, to your original, um, you know, like you really need to understand your game. And I think particularly if you're trying to, you know, get an indie game out there that you've really crafted and put everything into sometimes even, you know, your uh, the mortgage to your house. <laughs> Uh, you really need to be able to understand the heart of your game and how to get other people to see that too. Yeah, I hear the people doing things like that. They actually do a second mortgage of their house to fund in the in the hope that it would actually sell. And you know, in, in ten years ago, that might be okay, but it's not ten years ago. People, I give them to remind people that you know the Xbox 360 is technically a no longer is a retro type console because a it's no longer built, and B, it was 10 years ago that it was released. And they go, that's not true. Like, oh, wait. <laughs> yeah, 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 10. Yeah, time flies in the games industry, for ten, sure. A decade. And like, oh, yeah, and the iOS, that 10 years old. No, it's not. Oh, yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah, it is. And Steam, similarly, similar sort of, uh, it's slightly older, of course. I remember when people got very angry that they had to install it in order to run Half-Life 2. I'm that old. I told you I was old. Uh, actually, you probably remember it as well, but uh, it was like, really? You get angry over this? What's the problem? I didn't have a problem with it. It's Half-Life 2. I couldn't do anything. And uh, I remember the days when you used to get excited 
when new games come out on Steam. I remember that. You sit oh, there yeah. on a Thursday afternoon or something and go, oh, new titles. Now it's like, please stop. <laughs> no, I don't mean that. Sorry, but it's just, it is an avalanche. It's more than an avalanche. It's, you know, you, and you just got to, the way I do it now is word of mouth. And well, typically most games I get gravitate towards are the ones I've seen at shows. Because I go to so many, you and I know this, that I just, I, I've had hands on with them six months before they came out. So, like, so it's I'm already gonna, in your brain. It's in my brain. <laughs> So I like oh I'm, I'm going to watch after that one and now they've got a lovely system where they can put the game up and the game recently came out on the system like oh look it's out great now I can talk to devs and get them on the show anyway <laughs> so because I spoke to them directly while I was at the show so it all works so last question before we move on to the second half of the show and that is what are you playing right now. This is always one of my favorite questions to be asked, especially recently, because I'm not sure if you get this answer a lot from developers, but it certainly in marketing and certainly as we're gearing up for release, I don't have a lot of time to play games. Um, But the funny thing is, or the slightly embarrassing thing is that I've been playing uh, Civ Six for about two. Well, since ever, since it came out, basically, which I think is over two years now. That's well. You did say you love your Forex games. I mean, yeah. <laughs> um, I, you know, let's talk about this. Let's do this because I'm a big. I've been playing Civ since it came out, but I played it on the Amiga, not the PC, because I'm that old. Again, really old. I'm, everyone knows that. I'm, doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> and I still remember to this day. Still mad at the Germans, not as a nation, just to be clear, <laughs> any Germans listening, but the Germans in Civ, the original Civ, just so aggressive. Every yep. time you play them, it's like, oh, just go away. You can't win. And I start off with you know, the full intention of just being, you know, I'm going to be economic victory or something similar, you know, just going to go to the start. Well, the first one didn't have economic victory. You just had, you had to go to Alpha Centauri and do the first day. And I always start off with that. And then there's always one. There's always one that starts, you know, they start. And then it's just this terrible war of attrition until it's genocide is committed. <laughs> But, that know. does sound like many a Civ game I've had. Yep, for sure. <laughs> you just start off, but you know, for me, the 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 I know you play play these a lot, and I play a lot of board games as well. Like, I'm okay with playing Twilight Imperium. I know how to play that game. I'm very very lucky to have a group of people that I know that also know how to play it. So our play time is very very constricted. It's much much shorter. Mm-hmm. It's like it's like our poker game. You know, only <laughs> happens to be a massively complicated space forex game. It happens to be, you know, we just know the rules so much to, to the point where we're having a chat about other things, and they're like, "What are you do that for? What? We agreed you weren't going to do that. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, well, I'm going to do that now. <laughs> yep. <laughs> now we could, we were supposed to be stopping him. Why have you bought a war son? Why? Why? <laughs> But um, the, the the key for me is for a forex game, it's the mid-game. It's the mid-game. If you don't get bored, if you don't find yourself reached, you know that point in the bell curve where it's just like there's nothing to do, really. Yeah. It's looking after itself. What is it about Civ Six? do you believe that we don't have that much of a problem with it? You've still got something to do, no matter where you are in the development of your civilization. What do you think, what, what keeps you coming back after these two years since it came out? I think part of it is there 
I mean, there literally is always kind of something new to do because in those past two years, they've obviously come out with, you know, like their new Civ packs and DLC and all sorts of stuff like Rise and Fall changed everything uh, in regards to the mechanics and how you play. And they have the upcoming one coming out next year as well. So even but in between those time periods, I think I have played I've played so much of the early game, as I'm sure you can relate to. Uh, with any game type like that. Um, and it's, you know, it's totally true that one more turn bit, I will sit there, especially if I like boot it up at like 8am on a Saturday, and I start my weekend that way, I will play literally until I can't play anymore. So usually, it's not necessarily the game that is stopping me, it's my <laughs> need to be a physical human being that ends up uh tagging me out sometime during the late to middle end bit of the game. Um, and it's, if I can go back to it on Sunday, it's no problem. And I can finish the game and there's nothing that's making me bored. Nothing's kind of running itself. Cause I think certainly the way I play, I, uh, am more into creating my civilization as a sort of, you know, how I would like to run it in my utopia. <laughs> so I'm not really playing it maybe as strategically as other people are. Mm -hmm. So I never really get bored with those middle bits. But if for whatever reason, I can't go back and play directly after on the next day, then I have to start all over again, because I just don't remember what I was trying to do, or, you know, who was about to attack me, and then I get ruined <laughs> or destroyed. Um, and there's just so much in, in Civ 6, I think, that maybe was missing in Civ 5, because I don't think I played that much that one as much as I played 6, um, in regards to the balance of the different victory types. Because I feel like there's always something new that I can try in Civ 6 that always keeps me going. And there's so many different um, really great like strategic bonuses for the different leaders that you pick. So you know, to, even just to make your way through that list is crazy. And it, it changes how you play so drastically between different rulers. Yeah, that's, I, I, you're right. The, the dynamic of the interaction between the other civilizations, that's how they overcome the problem of, oh, wait, I've reached, um, you know, a sustainable empire, which I can expand with little to no cost. This is what happens. I can, but what's the risk? Oh, risk is too great, then what's the point? I may as well just consolidate my position here and establish my borders. Mm. Okay, that's a bit dull. <laughs> uh, whereas, you know, you have that diplomacy, trading, as in, you know, the real world, if you will. Um, whereas, you know, there's another game called Stellaris, which you probably know it. Um, yeah. I've tried. <laughs> and I have a good old go, but they're, they're still fixing it and tweaking it to make the middle game just just a little bit less dull and it's you know it's just it just gets to that point where you there's no pirates anymore because you annihilated them amazingly you did that overcame that problem and then it's now it's a it's a it's a balance of power between the other the other races and then you're trying to get as much resources without annoying anyone um oh. and it's fine but they, I don't. They need to work. It needs to work. It's not as good as um, European Universalist Four. I, I think um, uh, it's still. You know, it's just yeah. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, we could go on about four X games, but we're not going to. 
easily. I could go on for over 200 hours in two years. So yeah, you can. You, it's a definitely have a shared uh, love for those titles, but they do destroy one's life and time. And uh, I'm I'm stunned that they managed to get that game onto the Switch as well. But um, uh, although that's the most dangerous of all, it's a good thing that I don't have a Switch. Yeah, it's um, it's. But then again, people don't give that machine enough credit. So they yeah. need to need to wise up to that. How could they do that? They got they got a lot of really, really very. I mean, miniaturization. Everyone, hello. Never mind. <laughs> this is the twenty. This is twenty eighteen. Oh, never mind. Uh, <laughs> so that's it for the first half of the show. Well done. You made it. Hooray! Let's move on to the second half where we delve deep into sunless skies. questions i have to ask you what on earth is sunless skies <laughs> i love giving this spiel uh as you did. said we bring it to a lot of events but it's actually something that has changed quite frequently through its development not in regards to what the game actually is but how we describe it because if anybody has an idea of what failbitter games do in regards to games uh, we have a lot of very weird things going on in our game and figuring out how to tell people who have never heard of us <laughs> or maybe have never played the types of games that we make. It can be quite difficult because if they don't have familiarity with our brand, then we sound a bit like crazy people. <laughs> but to give you the current kind of description, uh, Sunless Skies is a gothic narrative RPG set at the dawn of the 20th century, but in space. And Queen Victoria has kind of gone into the heavens or space to colonize up there. And you play as a captain of a steam locomotive. And you're in charge of your locomotive, your crew. Uh, you can trade and do combat. But certainly for us, the most important experience are the stories that you can find as you explore what we call the high wilderness um, and all the different areas that uh, Queen Victoria has or hasn't kind of uh, put her foothold in, so to speak. And our current uh, tagline is, Sail the stars, betray your queen, murder a son. 
all things you can do in our game. Excellent. Well, I couldn't put it better myself. <laughs> I hope um... not, otherwise I'd be out of a job. <laughs> um, so, yes, it is an open-world exploration game where you fly around a little spaceship that happens to look like a, a train, train engine with steam and things. Uh, it's very similar to Space 1889, which is a, a franchise. People going around on Mars, Victorians running around on Mars in, in strange sort of <laughs> steampunk, whatever that means. Uh, very, it's just um, Chaos Engine. That's another game that uh, uh, some of it reminds me of. The strange sort of alternate reality where physics doesn't quite work in the same way because in, in reality, well, in our reality anyway, Space is really, really difficult. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly. And it, it's a huge caveat in uh, Sun of the Skies. It, strictly, like, it is a mix of how we wanted to do space and also a mix of what Victorians thought space might be. Yeah. So it's definitely yeah. not physics space. It's not our real space. <laughs> no. If you, if you want that, go watch Martian or indeed first man that's a good film um you know it's uh it, that kind of that that all we're doing Apollo 13 um that, uh, that all those films um the right stuff that's another one all that stuff that's that's space Definitely. for us that's but if you space. want you know, squid people and other you know victorian explorers flying around in a giant locomotive then come to us absolutely in fact the strange mirrored victorian era world that far better have invented and have uh, been nurturing for over these years is absolutely fascinating it's a it's a it's a realm that's very close to our own and then it goes squirling off into other realms which is <laughs> like what, what what is that like that's not right that's that wouldn't say that or maybe you would but if you were confronted with that um yeah. <laughs> uh, the best i can equate it to is a little bit like lovecraft although i do think that's been over over saturated with things recently it's everywhere Um, but the old ones are fascinating and the whole idea of you know this your regular person and then having to encounter something that's clearly not regular and uh, the the horror that that ensues but anyway we're not here to talk about lovecraft we're here to talk about sun the skies and my first design question is ready brace yourself it is uh there's a lot of micromanagement in running the craft that you control, you have to fuel, air, food for the crew, and all sorts of things. How have you balanced the needs of the ship with the player's desire to explore the universe? Very carefully. <laughs> <laughs> uh, because, actually, and we kind of touched on this a little earlier, I think, too, one of the most interesting parts of the entire game, from a design standpoint to us, is actually when things start going wrong. Uh, you know, that what happens when you're out very far away from all the other ports, you know, where you can't buy supplies or fuel, and, you know, you're running out and you have full-up capacity of crew that need to be fed, um, and then you get in a fight and one of your engines dies. You know, what happens... And what is that struggle? And even if you die, I'm sure you had a really interesting story to get there. (laughs) So throughout the course of the development of the game, we spent a lot of time really tweaking all those different stats management bits to make sure that players actually could live a little bit longer 
a little bit longer so that we could give them that story. Because we want those people to be able to go out and tell their friends, you know, what exactly happened to them. And, and if they survive, that's even better, you know, because they were on the brink of death. Um, but it it's so difficult, especially um, the size of, of Sunless Skies is tremendously bigger than Sunless Sea. Um, there, you know, in Sunless Sea, you kind of went from left to right and then back again to the to the London hub. Um, but in Sunless Skies, we have four different regions two of which are ginormous and the other two are still quite large um, and they're circular too. So you can kind of go back and forth between them in, in different directions as opposed to that left, right, left mechanic in, in some sea. Um, so we wanted to just tweak those things a little bit to make sure that, you know, you, you feel rewarded enough to keep going and you don't feel like it's totally hopeless. And even if you die, you want to get right back in there and go again. Um, and it, it's always that, can I make it to the port? <laughs> like, is there one nearby? Can I escape this terror before I start accruing nightmares? Um, and it's definitely been something we have been going back and forth on balancing to finally find that right uh, feel to it, which is why we also spend a lot of time watching streamers play our games to see how that's working. And, you know, we play all the time, especially our QA. She's an ace <laughs> at flying around and, and tackling enemies and stuff like that. So it's really important for us to make sure that, you know, actual players, especially people just jumping in, get that feeling of, okay, I do have these resources. I do need to keep, you know, management over them. I have to keep track of my crew i have to keep track of the supplies the fuel my hull um and if you're doing combat the overheating aspect as well and just really making sure that they're all kind of working together and synced to react in different ways as things start going wrong yeah um that's the beauty of exploration games like open world exploration games you give them just you put them to push out just a little bit more to see a little bit more, but don't have them careering off going to forever because no, I mean, then, you we know, want them on a, a very tight yeah. <laughs> trajectory. Yeah. We want to give them a, put them on a leash, but not one that's so taut that they find it too restrictive. Exactly. And as a Explorer game player myself, I know it's a dreadful thing to pigeonhole player types. I mean, I play everything from soul caliber to, well, to the sun, the skies. Um, and you know, <laughs> Um, one of them has nothing to do with exploration. It's all about punching people in the face with a massive sword. Uh, whereas this, you know, you, you have... It reminds me a lot of my my, my favourite moments in Elite, which is a very, very old game. But um, it's one of the reasons I love playing that and, and uh, playing just flying through space, exploring strange new worlds and killing pirates for monies. And uh, there's a lot of that going on here, but it's much more... It's, whereas that's a very, very, very old game, and it's embryonic, uh, whereas Sun of the Skies sort of takes that and go, well, it's great exploring, but what about, you know, let's just present people, actual people that you can mm. relate to, and uh, let's, let's tell your own story and make your own decisions, and then live by them and suffer the consequences for your actions. You murder hobo, you. <laughs> you know, uh, it's, 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 uh, it's wonderful for that, and it just... You know, I'm a, I'm a big explorer fan, so that's mm. why I was drawn to this and and the previous title as well, um, the Sun and the Sea, because it's all about 
you know, seeing. I love exploring worlds others have made. It's one of the reasons I love fiction so much. So, although I do love non-fiction as well, because that can be even weirder. Trust me. Most certainly, and yes. definitely where we've gotten some of the inspiration for our monsters. So, yeah, just like really, people thought that. Yes, or indeed, you know, the you you see real life creatures like mantis shrimp. Do you know the mantis shrimp? I'm sure it must be one of our reference images somewhere because yeah. we have so many underwater deep sea monsters like taped to our walls. <laughs> when you have a five minutes, just look up mantis shrimp. And <laughs> he is the most violent. Uh, just he's the shrimp. I just thought to bore you with this, everyone, but you just got to know this. He has his powerful claw movement. Okay. It's so powerful. They can't keep him in aquariums, really, him or her, <laughs> because. Because of this reason, it's difficult to have a mantis shrimp in an aquarium for this reason. It's so powerful, right, that he's, 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 he's obviously a predator, a massive predator. He just spends all his time destroying things. That's all it does. <laughs> and uh, he, he moves the claw so quickly in the water. The water boils. Oh, my God. Boils. <laughs> and he has his spectrum of eyes, is the, 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 spectrum, oh. the color spectrum, is not just what we see, the mere humans. It's mm-hmm. all of it. All of it. He <laughs> oh can God. see ultraviolet up to infrared. He can see all of it. He's an amazing creature, even though he's extremely violent. But yeah, mantis shrimp. I did, yeah, there are some things floating around that you see. You go, well, that looks a bit. Oh, I see. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. So I want to talk about characters now that you play and also mm-hmm. you encounter. There's an ambiguity about them. There there's is. No, there's no, you know, no one's all good, no one's all bad. They're just people, right? We all are. Generally speaking, you know, most of us are actually trying to, you know, for the betterment of others, because that's how we're driven as human beings. That's why we're at the top of the food chain. But that's a discussion for another time. Um, but uh, why? Why did you do that? <laughs> why, did, why did you not create a chiseled hero? From you know, uh, um, from other fiction that you find. Well, why did you make it so that you have some grey with, with everyone? Why? I think the simplest answer would be because that'd be boring. Uh, but I think the deeper answer is because our whole team really enjoys that sort of typical fail better dark humor aspect. Um, and it's a lot more fun if you have people that are comprised of both good and bad. Um, but even one of the core themes of the entire game from back, even when we were doing the Kickstarter for it was we really wanted, uh, some of the skies to go into the themes of corruption, both physical, you know, within the, the environment, but also through humanity and society, because I think that really relates to a lot of the historical, um, texts and things like that, that we were looking through for inspiration. Uh, and certainly, you know, what might happen if Queen Victoria did go try to colonize space. Um, and because the game is also about pushing people, you know, to their ultimate limit, it's a lot more interesting if you can play with, you know, you were saying not only the consequences that they make, but, you know, like living with those consequences. Mm. Um, and they're really big themes about not only corruption, but compromise in those moments and integrity. And, you know, we leave it totally up to the player if they, if they want to have integrity or not. Um, 
or if they're going to, you know, do what it takes to survive and how they get there. And those are the stories we're really interested in hearing about and seeing. So it's certainly something that we have, you know, mechanically put in there uh, to really let the player explore for themselves. Um, but not only that, you know, the, the characters, the NPCs that we have in there certainly have whole different, you know, motivations and some of them not so great. There are a lot of uh, different types of people with power in the high wilderness and different sort of factions and things like that, some of which align with Her Royal Majesty and others which, you know, want nothing to do with that and are more interested and excited about exploring this like new frontier land as you know we've seen in like the wild west or any other sort of like um grand new exploration so there's a lot going on there but i think they all tie into that theory of corruption and compromise and mm. what are people going to do uh when it gets rough and how are they going to continue on after that with those decisions that they've made to us that's a lot more interesting yeah yeah, it's, uh, people aren't um, black and white. They are actually grey and also many coloured as well. And uh, that is one of the things that also draws me. Is like the, the encountering new new people and having interactions with them and maybe helping them or indeed hindering them, depending on what they're trying to do. Uh, <laughs> Definitely. Or, or not. So I want to talk about terror. Yes. As a metric, as a scale. That uh, little skull, and it's all like, you know, and then it sort of creeps up, and you want to keep it down. You want to, you know, make sure that uh, the, the the universe of uh, Sun and Skies is terror free, relatively speaking. How did this come about? How did this very interesting mechanic come about? Why? Why is it there? <laughs> it's definitely not because we're terrible people that love to see other people terrified. <laughs> mm. Um. It was something that was back in Sunless Sea, but we really wanted to like to stretch it out a bit because obviously, as this is a bit of a sequel, we wanted to improve on things that either you know we or fans thought could use improvement. And terror, you know, in a way, it was easier to get that sort of atmospheric feeling of terror in Sunless Sea because it had kind of one color palette. You were, you know, out in the sea, which already terrifies a lot of people. Um, and you had this more of a sense of loneliness, whereas our version of space uh, is quite bright and colorful, but we still very much were writing really horrific, terrible things uh, in the stories that you experience in Sunless Skies. And in a way that kind of, I think, shaped how we ended up stretching out that theory of terror and really uh, tweaking it to bring it to new levels. Because in, in Solo Skies, um, you have a terror meter, as you alluded to, <laughs> with a skull on it. Um, and it fills up um, in certain circumstances uh, if you are near a really terrifying object, for example, out in space. Uh, it will start to slowly go up. And if you move away from that and you go back to a port, uh, it will decrease and you go back to normal. But if you happen to get stuck out there, for example, and let it hit all the way to the top of that meter, you accrue nightmares. And 
I would recommend you don't try to accrue them because mm. uh, they're certainly some of the most terrifying things that have ended up in the entire game <laughs> and are the things that when I overhear the writers talking to each other about, I question <laughs> them <laughs> um, because there's a few different nightmares that you can get. And basically they go up to different levels uh, each time you kind of go up that terror meter and your captain won't really be in their full faculties if they reach more and more of these nightmare levels uh, and it, it can kill you as well. And it's very hard uh, to get out of them once you have started to build them up. Uh, the chance of surviving basically depletes quite rapidly. <laughs> mm. um, and it's all it, very darkest dungeon, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but is there anything wrong with that? I mean, great. It's uh I do love Darkest Dungeon and the fact that uh, people, your cleric won't heal you because she's having a crisis. <laughs> <laughs> and with Sun of the Skies, it's basically the the captain's not going to pilot your ship properly. Why? Because he's really having a crisis right now. <laughs> not only that, but if you're a crew member, you might want to watch out for your captain depending on which nightmares he's having. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. So, yeah, see things that ought not be, basically. And that's where, if there is any sort of like Lovecraftian vibe left in Sunless Skies, I think it's more that those predominant themes from the literature like that, where it really delves into horror. Because I think our, when people say horror in games, it can get very confused Mm. uh, in regards to what you mean. Because a lot of people have a very specific idea of that. But certainly within our games, it's more of that intellectual horror that oh my god, my brain can't even comprehend what the hell is going on here. Horror. So last question then. It's uh, all good things must come to an end, I'm sad to say. Oh. Combat. It's quite yes. slow, majestic. Watching it anyway. <laughs> Not experience it. When you, watch you haven't it, when seen you... me try to do combat. Then. No, if I find it not relaxing, but when you get a rhythm going, when you actually get those sidesteps and you... Yeah. You know, and the, 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 it's very sort of slow and deliberate to a point. Not too slow, otherwise it'd be dull. But you know, it feels you know it's it's even possible. I love I love doing this when you have groups of enemies. They start friendly fire and shooting each other. Like, oh yeah, that's, that's so good. That's, that's wonderful. Sort of swinging it into a position where like they start shooting at me, but they realise that they're shooting at each other. No blue on blue, so to speak. <laughs> what was it modelled after? I, mean, I understand it's very similar to to some of the seas, but. Talk me through it because it's uh, it seems me more just uh, it's just much more satisfying to to experience uh, in in sunless skies because it's just so when you do it right you really are rewarded definitely and and as you said it can be actually quite beautiful which you wouldn't necessarily think because it's hunks of metal you know screeching around space mm. and they're not usually shiny pieces of metal either no. Um, I think a lot of it, I certainly remember like back in early development, it's one of the things that we uh, tweaked the most in between builds because in Sunless Sea, and I think a few fans, you know, have even been turned off by Sunless Sea's slow pace uh, because you're, you know, managing a ship on an ocean and that slow pace in Sunless Sea was designed on purpose because we wanted people to feel vulnerable Um, and, you know, Sure, you could zip around and speed up your ship, but that that wouldn't be the experience we were trying to go for in Sunless Sea. In Sunless Skies, 
it's not necessarily that we wanted to speed it up. It's that because we had changed the environment so drastically and it became so much bigger, you really, like if we had kept this, the locomotive at the same speed as the ship, <laughs> it just wouldn't have felt right. And especially because, you know, on a, a ship you're resting on water, but in sunless skies you're in a locomotive and it's floating. So the physics are a lot different and it took us a long time and a lot of experimenting to figure out exactly which bits felt right at what pace felt right at what like level of the thrusters felt right um of the animation to show you that you know when you thrust over to the side the ship kind of wobbles a little bit um and just to to really figure out what makes what still makes you feel vulnerable out there and you know it doesn't make you feel like you can kind of jet from port to port but also what's going to give you that true feeling of momentum of flying through space in a way that feels like it could be legitimate. Uh, because that's something that, you know, right off the bat, if we didn't nail perfectly, people would notice. And then also on top of that, we were discussing earlier about how since it's a sequel, we wanted to make sure that we got certain things right that we thought we could have done better in the first game. So combat was definitely one of those things. There was a huge uproar with Sunless Sea um, when we changed the type of combat that it had. And in some of those guys, we really wanted to provide people with a really fulfilling experience when they did combat. And I think we made a pretty decent headway at the first half of development, but we still didn't really feel like it was quite there. And then just recently, even a few months back, we added some different kind of like enemy type behaviors. And that really made everything sync really well. And I think that's when you saw things like enemies accidentally friendly firing on each other. And sometimes those enemies won't even be the same type of enemy, which is also really funny. Um, and we added all sorts of things like ram attacks and um, effects to their momentum if you know you collided with them or they collided with something else. Um, and certain we call them passions and you know different behaviors that they have uh, that kind of switch them from being friendly to not so friendly. And then adding even things like turrets and different types of weapons to them. And, and everything kind of finally came together and we felt, yes, this is the experience that we want. Our early access players were loving it. Um, and yeah, if you get, if you're really good at combat, and not a lot of people are, <laughs> especially because if you had played Sunless Sea and you jumped to Sunless Skies, the movement does feel drastically different. Um, if you get really good at it, you can create kind of these like beautiful, <laughs> almost like synchronized swimming moments between these locomotives. Uh, and it, it can be quite entertaining to watch. Yeah, I love uh, getting all clustered together and uh, firing into Malaya as they try to sort of bustle their way to try to take me out. Like, no, I've actually herded you into a corner now. This is, this, <laughs> this is a, I've actually created a kill zone. Sorry. Yep. Actually, I'm not. And uh, now I'm going to just harvest you a bit, really, because you started it. <laughs> you know, if oh, someone... you know what? Yeah. Actually, while I'm just thinking about it, it's one of the weirdest things I think that we realized that really helped combat was adding a headlight, which we didn't really want to do for the longest time because I, we had had some difficulty, and maybe not difficulties, but we'd had some discussion about that in Sunless Sea, and we didn't really want to bring it totally into Sunless Skies. But then we found when we added different weapon types. Um, and we had changed the way the locomotive moved, people were having a hard time aiming. <laughs> so 
adding that headlight back in and making it uh, a bit longer and sturdier really helped people be able to aim properly at all these different beasties and and locomotives coming at them. And and that was definitely something I don't think we sat down originally thought, yes, this will obviously help combat, but that's something that was definitely a turning point in our combat. Yeah. Massive help without the headlight, you're practically blind. Um, (laughs) And you just generate into ramming speed. Cause you just, but uh, yeah, wonderful. I just think it's one of the, highlights of the experience really because the exploration seeing new creatures and things and that's wonderful and as you know when you go into the fog like you have no idea what you're no. going to be confronted with you just don't uh but um it's that and when you do encounter it you just have this graceful dance with missiles and rockets and, <laughs> and things it's wonderful and i just love the puff 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 sound which you know we, you and I know, if it was real space, you wouldn't hear anything at all because there's no. no atmosphere. But, you know, it's, it's doing a steam engine in space. What do you want? You know, <laughs> not only the steam engine and, the, you know, the explosions and things, which are great and very satisfying, but if it's a, a beastie attacking you, then you could get, like, a, a scribe spinster screeching at you yeah. <laughs> terrifyingly. Yeah. yeah. You know, the, the, making these little sonic sounds. How? There's the rat. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> the, the physics, Newtonian physics, do not apply. Just saying, nope. they're you, gone. They're out the window. This is not elite dangerous, which is like slingshotting around astral bodies. Nothing wrong with that. It's just sometimes, <laughs> sometimes. Oh, I'm going too far. Oh, never mind. I've now got across the solar system. Brilliant. <laughs> Sunless skies by Fail Better Games is out on early access at the present, isn't it? But it's out eventually in 2019. Is that right? That is correct. It's actually, it's almost at a complete state because we're releasing the 31st of January, 2019. So not too long to go. Not too long. So if you're looking for a Christmas game, uh, don't look too far away from Sun of Skies. I mean, I always select my Christmas game round about now. You know the game I'm talking about? The game one plays over Crimble. Um, oh, yes. And last year it was Horizon Zero Dawn. Not a, bad, not a bad choice. Um uh, and this one, I've already chosen. It's, it's, it's Dragon Quest Eleven. So, yeah. <laughs> why nice. not? Yeah, it's good. When I bought it, it was, you got no time. We can. You're talking about it's Christmas coming up. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I have planned time. In fact, <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So, 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 right. And it's out on Windows, PC, Mac, and Linux, according to yes. the, the interwebs. Sometimes I get that wrong. Uh, but um, no, look, I've got that right. So, Hayley, it's been fantastic having you on. Well, thank you for having a chat with me. I really enjoyed it. It's nice to uh, to hear all these design questions about some stuff that, you know, we go through every day. Yeah, and it's good to to share them with people. So it looks like you demonstrate that you thought about them. Of these, course, these, yes. These key things that people need to know. And uh, Sometimes we've shouted about them. <laughs> I'm sure. And uh, we've now got a broad audience of people who now listen and uh, be inspired and uh, delve into uh, the, the murky, space, strange, nebulous space that is sunless skies. Because it's just loads. Of, there's no. There are stars, and it's not just black. Trust me. It's just yeah, yeah. Lots of it's lots of. It's beautiful, to be honest, but it also is. terrifying. Also terrifying. But yeah, thanks very much. Thank you.